We're going to be in the book of John chapter 2 starting in verse 1 tonight. We're looking at the first miracle that Jesus performed. And as we look at this, it talks about how it is the third day. And this is the third day after uh, Nathaniel met Jesus. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Ver uh, chapter 1, you have John the Baptist's testimony. And it speaks of who Jesus is, how Jesus is the Messiah or uh, the Lamb of God. And now we see in chapter 2, Jesus' public ministry is going to start here in a somewhat un you know, unusual way. And it takes place at a wedding. Now, a wedding back then is similar to our wedding today, but it's very different all the same. The weddings were very important. There were central uh, social gatherings of the Hebrew life, but they lasted seven days. And I'm very thankful that a wedding lasts only about an hour here because uh, that's enough of a wedding for me. And sometimes it's too much of a wedding, depending on the setting and the situation. Uh, but they was a seven-day-long celebration. And the reason they'd done that was it was very much part of uh, God's creation was seven days. The wedding was seven days. It was pointing back to Father God. Uh, the wedding takes place in a little town called Canaan, which is about nine miles north of Nazareth. And we begin there in chapter 2, verse 1, where the Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim, and he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made, wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let's bow our heads for a blessing on God's word. Most kind, gracious, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word this evening, Lord. We pray, Lord, as it is preached tonight, Lord, that your spirit would empower us, Lord, to, to reach the people that are here, that it would go out, Lord, as we know you promises it will not return void. We pray, Lord, that through the preaching of it, that your spirit would draw people nearer unto you, Lord, and that sooner it would be unsaved, Lord, that your spirit would touch them, convict them, Lord, and draw them to a saving faith in your son, Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for everything, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray and amen. As we look at what the Word is telling us tonight, and we see this story about Jesus at this wedding, there are several things we want to bring out about it. And the first thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus was not a recluse. And we look at John the Baptist right before this, and John the Baptist was more of an uh, uh, inward person. He didn't come out a whole lot. He was much more talking about how he was in the wilderness and how he, he feasted off of you know, basically wilderness things, uh, not to get too descriptive and everything. But Jesus was much more sociable. And a lot of times people think if for a Christian that we have to be locked into our houses, and that we can't go out, and no, there's nothing fun a Christian can do. And that's a very sad look at Christianity because it's not that way at all. Um, I, there's people who believe that God will give us um, simply what we need and never give us any of the things we want, but the Bible says he gives us the desires of our hearts. Now, does that mean he gives us everything we want? Of course not. But the Bible says that all good things come from above, which means every good thing you have in your life came from Christ. 
So Christ is not just concerned with being judgment and concerning with hellfire brimstone, and that is not the God of the Bible. While God is a God of judgment, God is also, Jesus, when he roamed the earth, he went to these social gatherings. He was out amongst the people. Uh, he went to these places to, to talk and to converse with people. In the same way, we should not lock ourselves in that we are never going out and going to the highways and hedges. It is critical to notice that Jesus didn't just reach people in the temple. The temple was a place that he went to. He frequented the temple. But look at how many times when he has a major move, a major impact, a major ministry point, he's really out there somewhere. He is going out to places where undesirables are. He's going out and talking to people that the Pharisees would not talk to because it was below them to talk to. And he's socializing with everyone. He didn't just go and sup with the religious elite. He supped with sinners. He ate with sinners. He had dinner with sinners, with prostitutes, with people that we would think were just you know, horrible people. Avoid them. Don't talk to them. But really we are called to go out even to them. To the very uttermost, to the, what we would deem the lowest rung of society is still a soul in need of salvation. And there are still people that Jesus would have ministered to. In the same way, it is your and I job in 2020, about to 2019, in 2020, to go out to the very same types of people and share the gospel with them. That doesn't mean that we should uh, cast our, our pearls before swine. Otherwise, we should not put ourselves in a place where we may come to reproach. Uh, we, should, we should guard our testimony when we do these things. We should be careful when we do these things. But we need to do these things. Um, I, I don't believe that it is a, a man's place to put himself in a situation where he could be blamed of any sort of ill intent or, or anything as beyond reproach. But I still think all the same, every man, woman, and child should be out sharing the gospel out there in the communities. That's the only way that we can be mission-minded. And to be, and I am firmly believe that a a successful spiritual church is has to be mission-minded. Every member must be on mission. And that doesn't just mean giving money to things. That means we need to be out. When someone's sick, we visit. When someone's hungry, we bring them food. When someone needs prayer, we pray for them. When someone needs encouragement, we encourage them. We find opportunities to share the gospel as part of our daily lives. If the only gospel we ever share is in here, we're not making half the impact we could make. Because it's wonderful that we have. We have great turnouts in our services, and I thank God for the ones that come out. But think again, how many more times we reach people out here where they are. And here's a catch that we all do, and I'm, I'm guilty as well. I'll throw myself under the bus with everybody else. We're all very guilty of inviting people to church, but a lot of times when the door opens, we won't invite them to Christ. Let me tell you something, a pastor does not have to be there to give an invitation. Um, that, that is a very traditional Appalachian thing. It's not biblical. Uh, the people leading people to Christ in the Bible were every one of the disciples. They were all leading people to Christ because when the, when the, door, the door for the gospel was open, they stepped through and shared the gospel message. Man, woman, and child can lead someone to Christ and tell them how to be saved. It's probably the most critical thing you can be, you need to be able to do as a Christian is tell people what they must do to be saved. Because the times will come, someone's going to ask you, and you better have the answer. Because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Um, uh, Brother Leroy said this morning that God will fill your mouth. And I find that to be true. When you are at God's business, He will give you. And we all listen. I, I'm no more educated than anyone else in here, probably least than most. But when I get an opportunity to share the gospel, God will fill my mouth with things to say. He'll give me what that person needs to hear. It's not because I have a special power or anything else, but it's called the Holy Spirit is within me just as it is within you, and it enables us to do ministry. 
Not to do with talent, but to do with who God is. You see, this wedding here was in a small town, not a whole lot different than what we would deem any other small town that was around us. And because of this, this wedding was a community event. This wasn't just going to be a private little wedding service. The whole town come out. Imagine when we have a wedding or a, a funeral service or something like that happens here at Hearts. Everyone is going to come out because generally everyone knows everyone. Uh, that's part of the blessing of a small town. So as And when we know this, we know that it... Uh, they're probably mostly related, just like in our community. You got Adams, you got Mullins, you got you know Hensley Bryant, whatever. You got you have the families, and because of that, we know this is true because Mother uh, Jesus's mother Mary is there. Um, it doesn't say that Mary was a part of Jesus's following that showed up, but says that Jesus's mother was there. Just like if we show up at a social gathering, your mom or your brother, sister, cousins are probably there as well if it's a community gathering. Well, that's what we're seeing here at this wedding. It's a community gathering that all from the community would come out to feast at this dinner. Now, as it talks about um, um, this, when Jesus redresses his mother and he calls her woman here, you know, I remember as when I was a teenager and I saw, I thought, man, how disrespectful is that? But we need to look back at the Hebrew customs. In the Hebrew customs, to call someone woman was a common greeting. But we need to realize also that as he calls him, calls her woman, he's also changing the relationship here. You see, it's not Mother Mary anymore. It's going to be Disciple Mary. While Jesus is the son of Mary, Jesus is also the Savior of Mary. And Jesus, remember, we look at read the book of James and we see uh, different places where there's people who have uh, family lineage with Jesus, but it does not change the fact that they don't have a special standing. Listen, uh, praying to Mary or praying to James or praying to whoever, praying to John the Baptist, is not going to do you a bit of good. They were humans just like you and I. While there was a family tie, they still needed saved. They were still sinners. It tells it does not matter who your mother, daddy, grandpa was. If you were born, and like I said, this is, this is a, one of the curses, but a blessing in the Appalachia. Because some people raised in church, they think, well, uh, mommy and daddy raised me in church. I was saved from birth. And you never can find a moment of conversion. And you realize at that point you need to be concerned. Because we all need to have a moment in time where we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Mary's no different. Mary, at this time, again, she's, he's not been crucified. We've not gotten there yet. But there's going to be a point in time where Mary comes to a saving faith in Christ. James comes to a saving faith in Christ. They acknowledge Jesus for who he was. In fact, most historians say that James didn't know who Jesus was until after Jesus was crucified. But we know because of the book of James, he came to a saving faith in Christ. There is no exemption from salvation. There's no exemption for having a personal Savior because we have all sinned. We've all felt short of the glory of God. We all need a pardon and forgiveness. And it only comes through and by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, there's a change in relationship here. But he asked Mary something else. He asked her, he says, What have I to do with thee? You see, the remark here, if we want to put it in sort of our modern English terms, is, Madam, that concerns you, not me. My hour has not yet come. You see, Jesus is, is at a place in his ministry here where he is not focused on physical, he's focused on spiritual. And a lot of times people get to where they're worshiping the creation, not worshiping the creator. 
They'll come to Jesus when they need something. They'll come to Jesus when they've suffered heartache. They'll come to Jesus when they're sick and on the bed of infliction. But they won't come to Jesus in faith for salvation. They won't recognize Jesus as Lord in their everyday life. And because of that, we have to be concerned for these individuals. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. Jesus is not going to grant you three wishes. Jesus is not Santa Claus. He's not here to hand out gifts and presents. <laughs> Jesus is the Lord of lords and kings of kings, and he is the one to be worshipped and to be glorified in everything. Amen. If we do not worship and glorify him on the good days, we should be very ashamed to come to him on the bad days. Amen. I see kids who think that because they wear a cross earring that somehow they're going to skate into heaven on it. And I'm here to tell you now that it doesn't work that way. That we have to recognize Christ for who He is. And yes, God gives us so many physical blessings, more than we ever deserve. His grace is just beyond understanding. His mercy is beyond what we can understand. But at the same time, if we have not accepted Christ for the spiritual, our physical has got no point. You see, the hour he's referring to here is the speaking of the time when Jesus would leave this world and return to the Father, and there Jesus would be glorified. John 17, 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his purpose was not just to help people. Jesus helped more people in the Bible than what is ever recorded here. But that's secondary. Uh, there's things we do as churches that we do to help people, but it's not the primary mission. They're secondary things, and they're good things. Uh, healing people was good things. Turning water into wine to, to, to help this bride and groom is going to be a good thing. But his primary mission was to die, to fill the spiritual need for all mankind. His primary goal here, the primary reason he was sent here, was to be the sacrificial lamb when it says that he was the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. If Jesus came and did not fulfill his mission, if he let something else distract him, he wasn't going to accomplish what Father God has set forth and none of us would have a way to heaven at that point. Too many of us are putting the secondary things first and the first things second. It's a big problem in each of our lives. We get so caught up on the things that really don't mount to a hill of beans in the eternal, and we allow it to destroy us. We get worried about our 401ks. We get worried about our incomes. We get worried about our homes, worried about our cars, worried about our vacations, worried about everything under the sun that we generally have no control over 9% of the time. And in reality, the whole time, the eternal is just going to the backside, and we're not doing anything for God. Instead, we're worried about the now and the physical. The Jews were no different. The Jews, man, they wanted a ruler, a savior to come through on a big white horse, a knight in shining armor to get rid of them Romans and put them in rulership and everything. And when they had a suffering savior, boy, were they disappointed. Folks, Jesus was not the person that we pattern our lives after a lot of times. A lot of times we want the three-piece suits and the four-story houses. Jesus was homeless, and, and everything he had, he depended on others to give to him. Uh, the only concern he had was for the spiritual, the spiritual lives of mankind, uh, for to do the will of the Father, for to live in obedience. And if we would look and take the obedience and make it our first concern, just as we talked about this morning, so many things of the physical would fall into place. You see, the Bible tells us that if we concern ourselves with putting the kingdom work first and not castle work, let me tell you the difference. Castle work is when you try to do things just to build up your local church. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. But if your only thing you care about is getting numbers in the local church, you've missed the big point. 
The big point is the kingdom. Working for the kingdom of God to see people come into the kingdom. To see souls saved and the kingdom upbuilt through the work that we have as Christians, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ. You see, I doesn't... Listen, if I had five people here, I would still show up and preach. If I had... And I think we've had less than five on some snowy nights here. Still show up and preach. I usually preach from down there. Outside that, I don't change anything. I generally don't try to count. I'm thankful with the numbers we have. But my point is not to keep every the numbers high. The point is to get the message out so the seed that the kingdom can be built up through the power of God. Not the power of me or the power of anyone else, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in the heart of man. You see, Jesus here, Mary, she was concerned with the... And, and don't think Mary ill of Mary here, because this wine was a big deal. You see, it was important for the groom and his family to provide enough food and enough drinks and beverages for the whole gathering that was there all throughout this service, all throughout this dinner, and to run out of wine basically would be forfeiting a lot of money. Uh, he probably would have lost about half of his wedding gifts. It, we're, we're talking in the thousands here that he would have lost as part of this because he does not have the ability to keep up with the amount of people showing up. So Mary's not just concerned because she's going to look bad. Mary's concerned for the bride and groom. It's hard for any person starting out. But imagine you getting married and, okay, now you got to give $1,200 away because you didn't bring enough food to the reception. Um, that's a pretty bad situation. So Mary, his heart is in the right place. But Jesus is basically saying, Mary, while this is important, what I have come for is more important than this. You see, at the hour when Jesus ascends, Jesus fulfilled every need. Not just the need of two people, this bride and groom. When we talk about Christ and what Christ does and what Christ's power is, when Christ went to the cross of Calvary, died, went to the grave, and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, he fulfilled the spiritual need of every man, woman, child who has ever breathed the breath of air. The opportunity has been, the price was paid, that every man, woman, child can be saved. The opportunity has been made. The problem is man, every man, woman, child has not agreed to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You see, there's so many people, they want to wait, or they want to tarry, or they want to say, well, I'll do it then, I'll do it then, whatever. They make all these excuses, just like the disciples did, just like the people in the Bible did. Things have not changed. Mankind has not changed. But when they do that, they put themselves harder, 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 hearted. The more you reject Christ, the harder that heart can grow. And before you know it, you've got no interest in Christ. It's the same thing for ministry. Let me tell you something. God will open the door for you to serve Him and give you opportunities to serve Him. And when you reject it, you walk away, you make excuses, you put it last. That blessing is going to pass on to somebody else. Let me tell you, you need to take the opportunity God gives you. There's no one too old, no one too young, no one too ugly, no one too pretty, too smart, too dumb, too whatever. There's plenty of work for everyone to do. Not just in the building, but in the mission field out there. If we do the work that God gives us, man, the blessings will be abundant. He's going to just make you fill your cup. You want to know how to get happy? Let me tell you. The people around the world are looking for happiness. Look searching for it. You want to know why people are addicted to drugs, alcohol, sex, and everything else, and these celebrities are killing themselves left and right and everything else? It's because they're trying to find happiness and joy in all and every place in the world besides where it's truly at. And the true happiness and joy comes from serving God. It's not easy every day. I'll tell you first and foremost, uh, it, there's plenty of days that it's a struggle, but it does not change when you lay your head down at night and you pray, you can smile a little bit because you feel like you've done something valuable for the Father. Uh, I know Drew, he, um, 
Drew's a, a, a kid likes to serve, his, me and his mommy, and he will pick something up and put it away, and, and, and it may be the wrong place, but he's trying, and he'll look and grin real big. It should be the same way with our Heavenly Father. Man, we should feel so happy and so proud when we, God gives us an opportunity to serve Him and do something good for Him. Give an opportunity to share His gospel, to share His word, and just feel blessed because of it. You see, in verse 5, Mary gives explicit command because she doesn't know Jesus is what Jesus is going to do here. You see, here in verse 4, she's looking at Jesus as son. But down in verse 5, she's looking at Jesus as God. Because here's the thing, God don't have to do anything. God is God. God don't need you and me when it all boils down to it. We need Him. Amen. Every opportunity we have to serve is a blessing. And when God allows us to serve, it's we should praise Him for just allowing us to serve. When a soul is saved, listen, God doesn't owe anyone heaven. But He gives it to us out of grace and mercy. Mary's looking at Jesus here now as Lord, and when He says... And to the servants, what's he saith unto you, do it. Let me tell you something. If God is going to bless you at all, he's going to do it because of your obedience. You cannot expect God to move in a family, in a workplace, in a congregation if people are living in outright obedience. We have to find a place where we do our very best. Here's the thing. God doesn't just look on the outside. looks at the intention of the heart. If we come to God with, 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 a, with a, a devoted heart and do our best to serve Him daily, not just one, not just two, not just three, but in abundance, it's amazing the things that God may bless us with. Again, not just our local congregation, but our households. I don't know about you, but in my opinion, revival starts in the home. When the family gets right with God, the churches get right with God, the nations get right with God, and you see true Holy Ghost Spirit-filled revival, not just in a, a building, but across the country. You want to know why God moved the way He did before, and, and we don't quite see God moving like He used to? Is because at one point in time, God was made number one in the family, God was made number one in the schools, in the household, everywhere. God was number one, and people done their best to serve obediently to what the Word of God said whether it was popular or not. If kids didn't want to do what the Bible said. didn't matter. They'd done it anyways. They were kids. They were made to do it. They didn't want to go to church. They were, there's a, an old saying that I saw somewhere they talked about. They said people back in the day had a drug problem. They were drugged to church every single Sunday. Uh, there's times in your life, times, listen, there's times that kids don't want to do what is right and you've got to force them. That don't happen anymore. I think the way it works today. Today we're always afraid of hurting their feelings. We got to be their friends. People talk. Listen, we are not called to be people that be children's friends. We're called to be their their, their guardians. We're called to be their their ones that are over them in this discipline. The one to lead them in the ways of God. It's what we're called to do. And that's not even part of the message, but that's just my parenting 101 for the day. Um, but too many times we're so afraid of offending people, and because we don't offend them, we're sending them to hell by giving them a lie. Folks, it doesn't do anyone a bit of good by trying to pad their, their conscience or make them feel better about themselves. It does a whole lot of better just to give them the truth. If you ever want to see him mad at a doctor, have him lie to me. If I come in and my blood pressure is sky high and I see it on a chart and he says, well, you're doing all right, I'm going to get really fired up all of a sudden. That blood pressure is going to shoot plumb through the roof then because I'm going to say, well, you're going to let me go out of here and die. Well, we're letting people die and go to hell every day because we say, well, you're a good person. Well, you know, you, you, you've done a lot of good things. But, you know, the old saying was the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's true too many times. 
Folks, people need to know about sin. They need to know about Christ. They need to know about judgment. They need to know about heaven. They need to know about hell. And they need to know the choices. Amen. Folks, if I had a choice to make, heaven or hell, I, I would definitely would make the right choice there. It's just like if I, if I had a, a broke-down rust bucket of a car or a brand-new Corvette. For you better believe I don't pick the Corvette. Some things are just common sense. People need to make the common sense decisions, but too often we don't give them the correct decisions. When we look down to verse 6 and 7, they mention stone vessels here. And I was intrigued when I was studying along this lesson. These stone vessels were for ritual purification, for washing the hands, washing of the feet. Uh, they were made to where they could not have impurities go within them. You see, when Jesus took these stone vessels and he turned this water into wine, these stone vessels would not allow contamination. You see, Jesus' work here in these stone vessels was perfected work. Jesus don't do things halfway. When Jesus saved me, he saved me to the uttermost. He took every sin that I've ever committed, every sin that I was committing, and every sin I wasn't committing in the future, and he purged me of all of it. Amen. Done away with it because I was his child. He took my place. My judgment was cast upon him, and I was grafted into the family of God. It was a perfect work. It can't be made imperfect. It can't be, there's going to be no contamination in my relation, my salvation with God. I am secure through Him. The Holy Spirit seals me, and through that, it is made perfect. When He took this water and He made it into wine and put it in these vessels, these vessels were made, were, were guaranteed that this work would be made perfect. Nothing would creep in. Listen, that the devil had a way, he would destroy your salvation. He don't want no one going to heaven. He's been kicked out of heaven. Why would he want you to go there? He wants you to go with him. Misery loves company. But God ensured it that that couldn't take place. That when he purchased you with that price, that that spirit came in and sealed you and, 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 and just brand, like in the old western, they branded cattle that belonged to so-and-so. The day I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I was branded by the Holy Spirit and designated and set aside, sanctified as his. And he's going to make sure I make it to heaven. I don't have a road map. I don't know how to get there. But God knows the way and I'm pretty sure he's going to, he'll take care of all that. And I'm going to be very thankful that when I shoot on out of here. Because when that day comes, all these trials and tribulations, this life will be over. And I don't have to even worry about just trying to figure it all out because God's going to give it all to me. You see, everything that's Christ is mine. I'm co-heirs with Christ. So I praise God for that. You see, we see here as this water is turned into wine, that the best was given in the end. The people were astonished by this because what they normally did is they'd bring out the very best. You know, when they first did, everybody's thirsty, so everybody's going to drink. So they're going to bring the very best stuff out then. And as they drink and they get full on people, less and less people are consuming it, they're going to start bringing out the garbage, the nasty stuff. Well, when they took a taste of this, they said, this is unlike anything we've ever drunk. This is the best stuff that we have ever consumed you know, life is very much the same way. We think about when we're here, we think, man, this is awesome. It's so good. I, you know, I've got a house, I've got kids, I've got cars, I've got a truck, I, I can go on vacation. This is so awesome. But listen, this ain't nothing. What we're going to get when we leave here is when the good times really start. This is misery compared to what is waiting for us, the church in eternity. Jesus said he's going to go away and prepare a place that where he is, we may be also. And his father's house were many mansions and a lot of space, a lot of room, plenty of room for everyone. Yet most of a lot of people is never going to go there. And the road, road singular, to that city is going to be paved with gold. 
listen, I don't know about you, but these roads ain't paved with gold. I have not really paved even hardly. But that road in heaven, we ain't going to worry about it repaired because that road is paved with gold. One road. You want to know why it's one road? Because there's one way, one truth, one life, and that is Christ. There is one church, one universal church. And when we get there, we'll be in one mind and one accord. A lot of one, a lot of unity. We'll never see it here on earth, but listen, we're going to see it when we get to heaven. Let me tell you something. I'm excited for what's to come. I'm excited for what God has prepared for us. You see, as he turned this water into wine, sometimes we don't see how great of a miracle this is, but he's also showing that he is God by doing this. Now listen, God, Jesus never done anything without a purpose. He wasn't a, a man who worked in... He knew his time was finite. Just like your time and my time here has a beginning and an end. There's a time when we're going to run out of time. And that's why we should be busy about the Lord's work. Jesus here, when he decided to turn this water into wine, notice it is important that it is water into wine. I don't know about you, but there is no scientific way to take a jar of water and make it become grape juice. Can't be done. You're taking one thing. That's like taking a dog and turning it into a cat. It can't be done. You may take a dog and turn it to a different breed of dog. That's fine. But you will never turn it to a cat, which is a different substance. You will never turn water into wine because it is completely different substances. You see, this is a testimony of who Jesus is here. When he told him to make sure you fill it to the brim with water, it also made sure that he couldn't mix anything with that. Because if he was to mix something, that water would overflow. But it was a pure water that he turned into pure, wonderful, perfect wine. That even when tasted, the governor says the best thing he ever had. Listen, this shows the divine power that Jesus Christ has. Because only God the Father has the power to create something from nothing. Amen. You see, in the beginning, when we look at the book of Genesis, when the world is created, he literally takes nothing and speaks it into existence. And when he does that, only God can do that. There is no way that we could take something here in this church, any of us, and make it out of nothing. If you need a door, you're going to have to have some material to make that door. If you want a pew, you some material to make that pew. Listen, God took nothing, created the universe. Jesus took water, which is equivalent to nothing, spiritually speaking here, and made it into wine. When the disciples saw that, we see very clear that they saw this as a testimony to the power of Jesus, and they became closer to Jesus. Now, just in case some of you all threw this at me because I was prepared, I know Moses turned water into blood, but think about this. When water turned, Moses turned water into blood, that wasn't constructive. That was destructive. You can't drink blood. You can't use that blood and that water for anything. He literally took something that was usable and made it not usable. What does Jesus do? Jesus does the opposite. He takes something and makes it better, makes it for a blessing. Just like he can take things in your life and make them for a blessing. Too often we are living in the realm of a curse instead of living in the realm of a blessing. We say it to our, about our kids all the time when we do our... Um, it's some program we're doing. I don't even remember the name of it anymore. But basically it talks about how we look at things the wrong way from the wrong perspective. We talk, tell our kids when they're growing up, well, it's Sunday, we got to go to church. Instead we say, well, it's Sunday, we get to go to church. We talk about how horrible work is. Man, I got to go to work tomorrow. Instead of saying, I get to go to work tomorrow. We look at so many things as curses. And God's trying to use it for blessings. We talk about, man, i got to clean my house today. Well, instead we should say, praise God, I have a house to clean. So many things we look at as being burdens when God is trying to do good things for us and we're not even recognizing it. Folks, in the same way we look at the cross, the cross of Calvary. When we look at the cross of Calvary, it looks like a horrific thing. 
I mean, it was the most brutal form of execution ever imagined. And when the Romans did it, what they would do, let's say you forget, you didn't pay your bill, they would take you, crucify you, and leave you on the outskirts of the city for the birds to pick you off the cross. That way, when he would come into town, say, you better not mess with them Romans. Look what they did to so-and-so there. God took the most brutal, violent death possible and used it to sacrifice his only begotten son that you and I have an opportunity at salvation. He took the most graphic, the most destructive thing and created and turned it into a positive. Let me tell you something. We all are in need of a Savior. God made sure he'd done it in a way that goes beyond all understanding. Let me tell you something. I, I absolutely love my kids more than I could ever put into words. And I love each and every one of you. But I'm not giving my kids up for you. Tell you first and foremost, I wouldn't give my kids it for myself. I'd rather lay down my life for you than lay my kids' life down for you. That's how, you see, we, we, I, this question was presented to me one time, why didn't God come in himself instead of the form of the Son? Well, God came in the form of the Son because a lot of us would give our lives for our own children, but we wouldn't give our children up for nothing. Listen, God gave the most precious thing he had, his only begotten son, to come to earth and live a sinless life to fulfill the law, not to eliminate the law, but fulfill the law, that he may go to the cross of Calvary and die that you and I can go to heaven and the, even the smoke of hell won't even touch us. Let me tell you something. It's simple. It's a simple thing to receive. All we got to do is realize first off, like Romans 3.23 says, that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen, we all are in need of a Savior. Mary, James, John the Baptist, you and I are all in need of putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Because Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wage, what you earn. What you earn is death. What you earn is condemnation. What you earn is eternity in a lake of fire, which we call hell. That's what we earn. Our most righteous works are like filthy rags. We don't earn heaven. We earn hell. But through the gift of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, He gives us forgiveness. He gives us eternal life. That we don't have to worry about death. We've overcome death because Christ overcame death. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen, just as Jesus turned water into wine, Jesus turned condemnation into salvation. Jesus took a group of people, which is every single one of us, that were just were just wretched. Let's just call it like it is. Every one of us is wretched. Every one of us are sinners. It's what we are. But we are saved by the grace of God. It meant we place our faith in a loving Savior, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. And how simple does He make it? Just calling out to Him in faith. And He's willing to forgive us. My goodness, He, he could ask us of anything. He had the very right to ask us for anything. All He asks us for is faith. All He asks us for is to believe on Him. Let me tell you something. If you cry out to God in faith, asking Him to forgive you of your sins, He's faithful and just to do so. 
If you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and come into your heart, He's faithful and just to be your Savior. He didn't make a promise in the Bible He didn't keep. And He promised that whosoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You pray to God, asking for forgiveness and faith, believing. Listen, you receive it. Not only do you receive it, you escape death, hell, and the grave, and you are sealed and become a child of God forever. We're going to close out tonight on page 242.